that. Thank you, Winston, for sharing with us today, encouraging us with a wonderful song from uh, Big Daddy Weave. Somebody said, why is he called Big Daddy Weave? I said, well, he's a big old boy. He's a daddy, and his last name's Weaver, so I guess that's where it comes from. But anyhow, grateful to God to be here. Psalm 119, if you would, find verse 97. I was noticed when I came in this morning, you always have to be leery when people leave stuff on the pew or the pulpit for the preacher. I don't know if y'all know that over here. I had this lady once that would want to leave me some stuff that she'd baked, like on the hood of my truck, and they can go by and get it after church. I never ate that stuff. I I had this feeling she was trying to do me in, you know. Yeah, but, now, but when it's when it's nice and prepackaged, this is people who's got their heart in the right place right here. Look here. I'm going to tell you why. Angie, I got us dessert today, sweetheart. Look here, okay? This is our Thanksgiving dessert. Thank you, Miss Carla. Jim, I tell you, just, uh, and it's solid, too. You know, solid peanut <laughs> Solid peanut but nothing hollow. I tell you, whoever developed Reese's Cups has got a special place at the table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I just really believe that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just glad we can have fun, aren't y'all? Psalm 119, verse 97. If you found your place and you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? course it's on the front of your um, worship guide and it's also going to be on the screen if you're watching online the outline will be there for you and uh, if you're here in person we'll have it on the screen behind me as we go through the text today Psalm 119 and if you would find verse 97 this is the key verse to this entire chapter and we're going to read through verse 104 notice what the word of God says he says oh how I love your law it is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray, Father, you'd use your word to speak mildly into our hearts. And, Father, that we would embrace the truth of the gospel today. We would embrace the truth that is we've just read. And, Father, I pray you would help me to make known the unsearchable riches of Christ today. Help me, Father, to articulate in a way, Father, that the people that are here in person, those who are viewing the service online today, would be encouraged, challenged, and forever changed because they have been under the teaching and preaching of the Word of God. May your will be done, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Today, I'm speaking to you about a man on a mission. I, I liked um, John Phillips' title for this section. He called it a scholar and a saint, but I... I really uh, feel as though as I walk through the text together that 
we really read about a psalmist who is definitely on a mission full of godly objectives. Webster's Dictionary defines a mission as a specific task with which a person or a group is charged. It can also be defined as a calling or vocation. See, when we are a part of a mission, we realize that we are a part of a task that is greater than simply pleasing ourselves. Our culture is pretty focused on self-gratification today, but when you're a part of a mission cooperatively and collectively in the body of Christ, the mission is far greater than just pleasing ourselves. See, on many occasions, we will be charged to work cooperatively with others to accomplish all the objectives of a mission and Webster also defines mission, as I said, as a calling or vocation, and he does so in the context of our service to the Lord, and as all Christians have a calling upon their lives, and that is to bring glory to God through the life he's given you to live for him. You say, how do we do that? Well, we do so by living faithfully, by walking obediently with the word of God, and we do so as we seek to fulfill the purpose of God for our individual lives and the body of Christ as a whole. Well, the roadmap, rule book, and compass for our mission today and every day as children of God is the Word of God. Without the Word of God, we will fail in meeting the objectives of our mission without a doubt. The English language, they tell us, contains over 400,000 words. 400. Now, my vocabulary is not quite that large, and I won't go ahead and help you, neither is yours. Amen? But there's about 400,000 words in the English language, and in our English translation of the Scriptures, it has a vocabulary of about 6,000 words. But of those 6,000 words, there is a great impact upon the world that cannot be measured. John Phillips said the Bible has left a lasting impact on the English-speaking world. Its influence will never be eradicated from English law, social justice, art, music, or literature. Regardless of what bills or laws are passed by governments, even in our own country, you will never be able to eradicate the influence of the Word of God upon this culture completely. Listen to what some secular folks had to say about it. Charles Dana, who was a newspaper editor from years ago, said this about the Bible. He said, of all the books, the most indispensable and the most useful, the one whose knowledge is most effective is the Bible. There is perhaps no book whose style is more suggestive and instructive from which we can learn more directly that sublime simplicity which never exaggerates, which recounts the greatest of psalmody, of course, but without sentimentality or affection, which you open with such confidence and lay down with such reverence. Odell Shepard, who was an English professor of Trinity College in Hartford, Connecticut, said this. He said, America rests upon four cornerstones, the English Bible, the English language, common law, and the tradition of liberty. He said, but liberty, language, and law might have been drawn from the Bible alone. <laughs> 
He said, had we brought nothing with us across the sea beside the supreme book, we might still be a great nation. Without this book, America could not have become what she is. And when she loses its guidance, the wisdom of America will be no more. Wow. He said, the breath of the prophets was in the sails that drove the Mayflower. From those beginnings until now, the Bible has been the best teacher to all men, a rebuke to our worst, and a noble companion to us all. Ladies and gentlemen, these are secular professors, secular newspaper editors who are saying that it is the word of God of which we are founded upon, and when we fail to realize that, our wisdom and even our very existence could be no more. Even these leaders outside the church realize the value and the vitality of the word of God. And now I believe with that in mind, we must explore what the psalmist has to say to us. Because you realize the words of the newspaper editor, the words of the college professor, the words of even the theologians of scripture are not inspired. But what I read to you a few moments ago is inspired scripture. God breathed from heaven into the heart of holy men pinned down for you and I. See, the psalmist is about to teach us about how the word of God equips us and how the word of God empowers God's people to accomplish the, man, the mission that is set before us. And can I tell you, the mission that the psalmist is on is a journey that you and I must engage in. This is not some storybook fairy tale, something that's drawn out of history or whatever. This is a word from the very throne room and the heart and the lips of a holy God to his church. And he is saying to you, get on this mission, ladies and gentlemen. So when we see this, let's walk through the text together and let's see how the text speaks to us about the psalmist, this man on a mission. And also how we can join him in this same mission. Notice with me, if you will, first of all, he talks about his appetite. Well, he had an appetite for some things that really mattered. Sometimes we have appetites for things that aren't good for us. Right? Not good for it. It tastes real good, but it's not real good for us. The doctor says it'll run up your triglycerides, it'll run up your cholesterol, it'll run up your sugar, it'll all those things that, you know, I'm four weeks from 50, I got to be thinking about, right? Some of y'all are like, I've been thinking about that a long time, amen, and you have. But I got to think about these things. So nevertheless, when we talk about appetite, let's see what the psalmist said about his appetite. Verse 97, we read how he meditated on the word of God. Now let me just be specific when I talk about meditation. I'm not talking about sitting in a circle, Indian style with your arms out, your eyes closed, and humming along with your neighbor. We're not talking about that kind of meditation. We're talking about a heart focused on the word of God. Listen to what we find there in verse 97 again. He says, oh, how I love your law with an exclamation point. It is my meditation all the day. See, when we meditate on the word of God, we love the Lord by pondering his word and allowing his truth to penetrate our hearts, to get past the skin to get into the very points that of uh, the discerning the thoughts and the intents of our hearts. See, it's very important for the child of God to allow the word of God 
to freshly penetrate our hearts on a daily basis. And I know you'd say this, preacher, you say that because you're the preacher. Don't you know we're busy? Don't you know we've got hectic schedules? Man, where have you been? We don't have time for those things. Uh, there's no way that we can put God in our schedule every day. Friend, I just want to tell you something, and I mean this, and I love you with all of my heart, and that's why I'm telling you. If you have gotten so busy that you don't have time for God in every day of your life to spend some time hearing from him, talking to him, and reading what his blessed word has to say, then you are just too busy with all the wrong things of this world that five seconds after you're dead, nobody will care about, but what you have done for the glory of God and for the, for the kingdom of God will stand for eternity. So I would say to you today, maybe it's an opportunity for you to love the Holy Ghost to do what David asked him to do search me, try me, find any wicked way in me clear up my schedule, take over my calendar and not only be the savior of my soul but be the Lord of my life you know I had some yahoos when I went to years ago that started a an argument with a professor they were saying that they believed that Jesus could be Savior without being Lord. And they just really liked the Savior part, if you want to be honest, brother. It was that Lord part they had trouble with. But I was sitting in the back of the classroom, and I was, y'all won't believe it, but as a student, I wasn't like this when I was younger, but as I got older, I, I did a lot more listening than I did talking. And so I'd listen to this thing, and the professor looked up and said, Brent, what you think about that? I thought, oh, Lord. I said, well, all I know to do is tell you what the Word of God says and what a dear man of God years ago, Adrian Rogers, said. Adrian Rogers said that if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. <laughs> End of discussion. Amen. Drop the stinking mic. Amen. There's nothing else to talk about. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, yes, he went to the cross to redeem you and save you from your wretchedness, from your lostness, and for your eternity that you were headed toward and spend eternity in hell. But I want to tell you something else. He didn't just go to the cross just to redeem you. He went to the cross to have a relationship with you so he could walk with you and talk with you, commune with you, fellowship with you, help you through this journey, and be your Lord every step of the way. Glory to God. Thanks be to God that he's not just Savior. He's our blessed, living, sovereign, and eternal Lord. Amen. That's worth your trip to church today. Amen. Some of y'all in the living room right now, you just had a spell. You won't have one at church because people's looking. But at home, you can just let your hair down and do the Jesus two-step. Amen. Woo, glory to God. Listen, he's Lord. But the psalmist was committed to doing more than just learning his word. He was committed to being a student of the scripture. And because of his continual meditation on the word of God, he became a student of the scripture and he fell in love with the word and he got committed to live out its truth. Oh, I love what Job said. Job in his despair in Job 23, 12, he said, have not departed from the commandment of his lips. You know what he said? I stayed true even when things were bad. He said, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. 
He said, I'd rather talk to God, I'd rather read the Word of God, and I'd rather fellowship with God than anything I know. How could the psalmist really love the Lord's instruction? See, sometimes when we hear the words instruction, we see that as negative. It's kind of like once when Brooke was a little girl, she got a swing set for her fourth birthday. I know how to put together a swing set. I got some power tools. I'm dangerous certifiably, right? So I go out there and start to put this swing set together. And that's one of these with a slide on this side, a little spin around deal on this side, and a pole off the back. I mean, it was an elaborate little thing. But I thought, nothing to this. I look at the picture. I look at the picture on the front, I put it together. Y'all won't believe this. I got done, and I had a whole bag of bolts left over. No, I wasn't done. You know what I had to do? I had to do what many of you have had to do on Christmas Eve. I had to go back and read the instruction, amen? And when I read the instructions, I realized that I'd put some things where they didn't need to be. I had to take some bolts out, replace them with the right ones, and I had to get things right because what I had done is I had put together a death trap for a four-year-old. <laughs> it wasn't going to hold the way I put it together. But that's what the psalmist said. He said, look here. He loved the Lord's instruction, and I'll tell you why. It's because... He loves the Lord's instruction because he is the Lord of the word. The Lord's instruction was deeply embedded within his soul to the point that he ponders on its truth throughout the day. How many times during your week do you have difficulties and problems and the Lord bring together a, a word of encouragement to you? The Lord give you something that you maybe studied in your Sunday school lesson or heard your Sunday school teacher or maybe even your preacher shared with you. Maybe something you've had for years has just been a blessing to you and helped you through so many things. How many times? Because I'll tell you what the Word does. The Word affects your attitude. It affects your behavior. And it affects your decision making. You know, yesterday I told you all, me and my sweetheart, we're having Valentine lunch. We were at a restaurant. And we had a sweet waitress that was waiting on us. And she was pretty busy. Y'all know I told you, it's Valentine's weekend. So she was pretty busy and she was hustling around. I noticed one of the customers over here to my right, a couple rows over, began to give her a hard time. Y'all know I have a real soft spot in my heart and soul for those that serve others. Those that serve, and listen, how you treat those that serve you have a lot to say about who you really are. So I watched this, and I was praying for and I was talking to Angie, I said, we need, you know, bless her heart. This is, I couldn't do that job. Do y'all know if I was a waiter, I would be fired in the first four hours of my shift. I'm telling you, I would be terrible. I, would, I know what I'd do. I would spill all the ginger salad because I'm not very nimble and stuff. I mean, so she came around. This guy got what he was after. You know, there are people that will go into restaurants and pitch a fit just so they don't have to pay. I'm, I'm in the real world, are y'all? I mean, I knew what he was doing. He just didn't want to pay. So we was watching this lady. And she came around, and then she went by, and she apologized to them for any problem. And instead of accepting her apology, whatever, he starts to lecture her on how she could be a better waitress and how she needs to do this and she needs to do that. And I could tell her heart was broken. I watched her literally. 
So when she came around and got ours and we paid and I told Angie we put her a note on her, on her ticket. And I put on her note, me and Angie did, I said, I want to thank you for taking such good care of us today. You're doing a great job. And I put her a very generous tip. And when she came by, I handed it to her and I said, I want you to know that she and I both mean every word of what's on this ticket. And we want you to know that you're doing a great job and we're so thankful you served us today. See, ladies and gentlemen, you don't treat people or tip people based on the way they serve you. You do those things based on the one you serve and who lives within you. <laughs> hey, look here, ladies and gentlemen. When you do that, here's what God will do. God will use you to be a blessing in the marketplace when somebody else has been a burden. God will use you to bring healing where somebody else has been hurt. Let God will use you. If you want to find out how you can touch lives, just get out there and live and just listen and you'll see how God can use you. God help us. You just, just help put some wind in somebody's sails instead of extinguishing their fire. Amen. I've had people come to the back before when I was a younger pastor. So, you know, I enjoyed the service today, but you know what but means? I'm finna tell you what I really think, right? I don't know how that feels. Oh, oh, you're, you're, you're a fine preacher, but... <laughs> hey, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. What God wants his people to do, especially in times of difficulty right now, is put some wind in each other's sails, elevate one another, encourage one another, and be like Jesus. Why? Because when you meditate on the word of God, you can do that. But when you go absent from letting the word of God influence your life, You'll be like the guy over there across the way breaking that little girl's heart. He not only meditated on the word of God, but he was elevated by the wisdom of God. Let me go walk quickly through verse 98. Here's what scripture does. Scripture teaches us the value of wisdom. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs 4, 7 says, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Psalm 90, 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, when people ask me sometimes now, you know, how can I pray for you? Here's one of the things I always say. Please pray that God would give me wisdom because knowledge is a good thing but only takes you so far, but wisdom will help you be able to lead others through difficult, dark times when you don't know what to do yourself. He was elevated by the wisdom of God. But notice the third thing with me there, verse 99. He was educated by the witness of God. Look at verse 99 with me. This is one thing about the word of God I love. Look what he says. He says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. When you read that, don't you think, this dude's arrogant, isn't he? He thinks he's smarter than the people that taught him. And at first glance, if you read it wrong, you can misinterpret verse 99. Because it does appear that he's rather prideful, but I want you to know understanding the proper context is critical. The psalmist is not one bit disrespectful to his human teachers at all. Because just because a person possesses knowledge does not mean they have insight and wisdom at all. The key to understanding the statement in the first part of verse 99 is to read the last part. He said, For your testimonies are my meditation." See, regardless of what all we may learn from human instructors, the Word of God is the advanced curriculum for our lives. You and I are all beneficiaries 
of human instructors at some level. Somebody taught you your ABCs. I learned them right downstairs in kindergarten, even before that, but I remember writing them a lot. But somebody taught you your ABCs. Somebody taught you how to read. I learned to read in first grade out of fear. Because when I came up, if you didn't read right, they whooped you. And y'all don't believe that happened. David, how you in the room? You, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? You didn't read right? You went back, you learned how to read. Now they're like, oh, sweetheart, let us help you with your reading skills. Back then it was like, well, get over here, boy. I mean, it was a whole different world. It's kind of like I saw something in Target the other day, yesterday. Like I say, you just get out here and live. You remember what your parents were like. And the same parents that would walk you into Sky City or the old Mason store, y'all remember that one? The same parents who used to walk you in there and say, stand right here, don't you move, don't you touch nothing, you can't have nothing, don't say a word, do not let me, do not move from my side. If you do, I'm going to tear you up when we get to the car. Those same parents, I saw one of them in Target, had their little grandkid in the buggy. You want to play choo-choo, choo-choo? I'm like, what happened? I mean, I mean, and she's like almost running over people that it's their fault that they're in her grandbaby's way of playing choo-choo. <laughs> I'm like, how does this happen? It's a whole different world out there. <laughs> I don't forgot what I was talking about, but I'm gonna move on. ADD done kicked in. But I did. I learned to read out of fear. I did. But when somebody taught you stuff, somebody has invested in you, somebody has helped you learn the things and the skills and stuff you need to be able to be productive in life. They really have. Whether it was a school teacher, whether it was a coach, whether it was a, uh, you know, a college professor, or parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, memaws, peoples, anybody in between, somebody has invested some time instructing you. So verse 100, the psalmist takes his confidence in the word a step further and he declares that the word of God has made, gave him more than the ancients, which are the elders of the age. Now, wait a minute. First of all, he's saying, I know more than my teachers. Now I know more than the elders, the age, the ancients. But ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you something I've learned in my time serving gospel ministry is chronological age does not guarantee the possession of godly wisdom. Chronological age does not guarantee the possession of of biblical knowledge much less godly wisdom also years of Christian service do not guarantee an abundance of knowledge and wisdom either doesn't matter how long you've been serving in the church doesn't matter how long you've been here doesn't matter uh, how long you've been a Christian or how long you've been doing what you do none of that matters if you're not meditating and walking with God then you're not going to grow in your relationship with him the psalmist was saying this he wrote that it was the precepts of God that allowed him to excel in knowledge and wisdom. He was determined that he was going to stay by the stuff. A lot of folks have departed the stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you, attending a college or seminary like I did or whatever doesn't make you a man of God. 
I met a lot of students over there that thought all they had to do was get a degree and boom, they were a man of God. It's not how it happens. None of those things do, but I'll tell you, even serving in the gospel ministry almost 35 years does not make me a man of God. It does not make me more important. It does not make me anything better than anybody else, but I'll tell you what will help you be a man of God and help you grow your relationship is when you keep the precepts of God when you stay by the stuff. Only that will ensure that you and I live, grow, and demonstrate the lifestyle characteristics of a man or woman of God. Education's been good for me. It's taught me some things, but I'll tell you what, it's also taught me a lot of things I do believe. It's taught me a lot of things not to believe. But I'll tell you, those things can be helpful, but they cannot transform you. Only the power of the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus Christ, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God will transform you from a man that's all about you to one that's all about him. Notice with me, if you will, not only his appetite, but I've got to talk about his assertiveness. See, we cannot be passive in our relationship with God. It's Valentine's, guys. You can't be passive in your relationship with sweet, your sweetheart. You can't be really passive in your relationship with the Lord. We must be determined to guard our hearts and surrender everything we are to him. What do we know about this psalmist? There's two things I want you to notice. One, we find out he is a disciple. He is a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ and of the Lord God of heaven and earth. I believe that. Charles Spurgeon said there is no treasuring up the holy word unless there is a casting out of all unholiness. If we keep the good word, we must let go of the evil. The psalmist was speaking directly as a man of determination, a man of purpose. He knew that God must be the one who directed his life. He knew that he was not able to do that and that he would make a mess. He knew that, if he, that he would be different from the rest of the world and he knew that his testimony would be visible as a beacon of hope to all of those who need to know God the way he does. It was up here on the screen a moment ago, John 13, 34, and 35. They will know us by the way we treat each other. I believe that the church has bit and devoured each other all these years we wonder why an unbelieving world doesn't see a need to come to Christ it's because they view the, the testimony of unholy and ungodly people Psalmist then restrained his feet one translation said he refused he restrained his feet from walking toward evil how important is your walk well, Paul told the Ephesian church in Ephesians 1.15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word picture for circumspect walking is that of a cat walking on a high wall that's filled with glass. Uh, you can picture a cat walking on a high wall covered with glass, how he would have to choose each step very carefully. Uh, sometimes we run toward evil without choosing our steps carefully and allowing the spirit of God to guide us you see the psalmist understood his own humanity and you and I would do well to understand ours and he knew that if he did not guard his steps he could quickly to move toward departing from the Lord's judgments I like something else Spurgeon said and I want you to listen closely he said, he who is careful not to go an inch aside will never leave the road. Y'all ever met folks who like to test out the 
you know, the shoulder. <laughs> you know, because you be careful. You take out a whole roll of mailboxes. You got to be careful. But he said, he who is careful not to go an inch aside will not leave the road. He who never touches the intoxicating cup will never be drunk. He who never utters an idle word will never be profane. If we begin to depart a little, listen, we can never tell where we shall end. If we begin to depart a little, I can handle it. I'm strong. I'm tough. If we begin to trust ourselves, there is no limit to where we might end up. You say, I'm here today, preacher. You know, I have problems. Can I say this to you? If you're in this room today, you say, I've got problems. You're in good company because everybody in here does. Me too. Amen. Sometimes people look at the preacher and the people on the platform, they think, you know, they just don't, they're out of touch with life. I don't understand. Oh, no, that's not true at all. You say, preacher, I've made some wrong steps in my life. I've got toward the edge and I got further than an inch and two inches in a foot. Before I knew it, I was in a ditch in the gutter. But I want you to hear, I want you to hear me today. If that's you, we are not here to persecute you. We are not here to make you feel as though you are a mess beyond hope. We are here to assist you. We are here to help you in bringing all your pain, all your guilt, all your shame, all your sorrow to the foot of Calvary's cross so you can experience the complete and full forgiveness of a holy God. That's why we're here today. For too long, people have looked at the church and any preacher that had conviction about himself, they're like, oh, he's just judgmental. He makes me uncomfortable. I'm not being judgmental of you. And if you're uncomfortable, it has nothing to do with me. That might be the Holy Ghost of God telling you, you need to get right. I want you to know here, your comfort is not my goal. What my goal is is to help you see your need for Christ and come to Jesus. And to see that you can't fix yourself. And no, we're not here to throw rocks at you. No, we're not here to beat you up. We're here to get down there where you are and help you come to faith in Jesus Christ and begin to walk with him. That's why we're here. God, help us today. God, help us. Because if we're not careful, we too could begin to stray. We too could be in need of help and as a guide if we keep our guard which is God's word it will show us where to walk the word of God will keep us from evil and the word of God and the spirit of God will direct our paths he was a disciple but he was also a discerner oh you got to stay with me on these last two verses you got to stay with me it's going to help you you see discernment is a valuable asset to the child of God Discernment comes from instruction and experience. I've told y'all many times, the Lord blessed me. My wife's a much better discerner than I am. I, over my history, I've been far too trusting. I paid the price several times for that. But, but I have gotten better. I have. I, I, just, I, I just never wanted to allow the experiences of life to make me cynical or critical. Amen? I never wanted to get hard. You know, a lot of people have been in ministry a long time. They get hard because they've been hurt, burnt so many times, they just, 
they just put up walls and they get calloused and I, I don't ever want that to be my testimony I, I want to be uh, soft to the things of God I want to be open to the people of God and I want to help people come to know Jesus it's the very heart of who I am and who God meant me to be but it comes from instruction and experience but it's also evidenced by the Holy Spirit directing our thoughts and our actions and our decisions Psalmist had learned the value of unconditional obedience he was devoted to the word of God he was also devoted to the God of the word and it was a pleasure for him listen it was a pleasure for him to absorb the truth of the word of God daily Jeremiah 15 6 said this he said your words were found and I ate them your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart for I am called by your name O Lord of hosts the psalmist mentioned the presence of his enemies throughout this chapter. You can see that in multiple verses. And there's at least 10 or a dozen of those that he called them out. And you and I know we cannot escape the presence of those who seek to attack our witness and the others who walk with God. If you're walking with God, the enemy wants to attack your witness. Guard it with all your heart. Danny Aiken said this. He said, when we determine to please Christ rather than men, we can expect to be attacked. We can expect to be mocked, scorned, and ridiculed. And we must also be tempted. We must also and we must also be tempted to fight our battles man's ways rather than God's ways. But we must not do that. We must determine to do God's will, God's way, believing it is smarter and wiser than the ways of the world. How many times you've been attacked and you want to be, man, I want to just straighten that mess out right now? The Holy Ghost take charge of your life and say, no, I got, I got it. I got it. Scriptures teach us how living with wisdom helps us to rise above our attacks and allows us to bring glory to God. Preacher, show me somebody from the Bible that did that. I'll be glad to. The Old Testament, you read the story about King David. When he was just a shepherd boy, God used him to deliver a nation by killing the giant, defeating the Philistines. After Goliath went down, nobody was more excited about David or, or loved David more than Saul. Loved him. Hey, you know what? You're Jesse's boy, but because of what you just did, you no longer live at Jesse's house. You live at the king's house. I'd say he thought a lot of him, don't you? His son Jonathan became best friends. Jonathan gave David command over Saul's men of war. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, the women began to sing and dance, and they said, Saul has slain his thousands, and, but David has slain his ten thousands. <laughs> From that point on, Saul began to burn with envy and hatred toward David. He set traps for him, and on two occasions, he even threw a javelin at him. <laughs> He wasn't throwing the javelin for practice. He was wanting to do him in. He also tried to set a trap for him by offering him one of his daughters. But you know, later, David didn't take that daughter, but he, he met one of his other daughters. That real spiritual chick, right? The one that got on to him for dancing. Y'all remember that? <laughs> she fell in love with David, married him, and then turned against her own father. 
How did David respond to the attacks of Saul? Well, here's what we know. 1 Samuel 18 and 5, here's what it said. And David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved himself wisely. 1 Samuel 18, 4 says, And David behaved wisely in all ways, and the Lord was with him. 1 Samuel 18, 30 says, David behaved wisely, behaved himself more wisely than all the servants of Saul. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been said that wisdom is knowledge put to practical use and wisdom comes through obedience. So the psalmist says this. He begins to use honey as a way to describe the sweet pleasure that God's word has brought to his life. He talked about that honey. Every time I think about honey, I think about my granddaddy. We used to go rob bees together. Rob them beehives. You know why I like to go rob them? Because that meant we're fixing to bring some of the good stuff to the house. When it was robbing time, that meant we were fixing to go get all those little slats or whatever you call them out. And we was going to bring those, uh, the, the, them home and we was going to go to the little machine we had with a hand crank and we was going to put all those little uh, panels down in there and we was going to turn them and it was going to sling that honey out on the side and it was going to drain down in them quart jars and every now and then he'd cut me a little piece of the comb. That was better than going to the Dairy Queen, amen? Now he cut, because you know, we, we, we didn't have McDonald's, none of that stuff. If we wanted a happy meal, we got a fried green tomato piece on a piece of bread. Have yourself a smile. That was your happy meal. Amen. But he'd cut me a piece of the comb every now and then. He'd say, that's good stuff right there, ain't it, boy? I said, yes, sir. It sure is. But notice the last part of verse 104. He said, because of this, therefore, I hate every false way. Here's what George Barnes said. He said, the primary reason that people do not act like Jesus is because they don't think like Jesus. <laughs> Would you think that the psalmist is saying here, the word of God has affected my thinking. And I'm going to think like God because I've been in the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, God's word has become so precious to him that he begins to live intentionally. He was growing stronger, bolder. He was even happier. He had discovered the ultimate source of truth and it enabled him to reject that which is false and rejoice in that which was holy. God's word kept him from straying. It kept him from making bad choices. And it kept him from falling into sin which had serious consequences. I think here's the thing we don't tell people enough about is is that when we allow ourselves to dibble and dabble and fall into a life of sin, it has serious consequences. That's why we need encouragers. Let me just end by talking about that. We need encouragers and we need to put wind in each other's sails because listen here, if you're a child of God, Satan is after your testimony. And he's not just after yours, he's after all your brothers and sisters. Last week was a pretty busy, hectic week to say the least for me. I, I'm sure it was for you and everybody. I, I'm always one to understand that we've all got stuff and things that interrupt 
intervene in our lives and cause us difficulty and anxiety and all those things, I understand that. Friday, I was kind of trying to land from a pretty hectic week. And Friday, I was not exactly feeling like the national champion that all of us Alabama fans are, right? Amen. I wasn't feeling like a champ. Yeah. And so I was talking to the Lord. I was there, Angie was with me. And a few minutes later, my phone rang. And I've been getting lots of calls lately from different doctors and nurses and stuff and from my family and take care of my parents and stuff. So I have no idea what's on the other end of that line. And I answer the phone. Man, on the other end says, Brother Brent, which could mean a lot of things. And I said, yes, sir. He says, it's Rick Raisman. I said, well, hey, Brother Rick. How you doing? Now, keep in mind, Rick's 84. 84, is that right? Oh, yeah. Just, just buried his wife two weeks ago tomorrow. He calls me and he says, uh, I just want to call and tell you, you know how Brother Rick is. I just want you to know I love you preaching. And I just want you to know I love you. And I love you, sweet little wife. And I love you, daughters. And I, I just want you to know you're a blessing. And I want you to know that my nieces and nephews from Upper Peninsula, Michigan, have called and they viewed Molly's service online and they just want to know how much you bless and encourage them. I just want you to know today, he's coming. I just want you to know I love you. Did I tell you I love you? Boy, I love you. You know how Brother Rick is. And after about 15, 20 minutes of him making me feel like I was a champion, you know, I put down the phone and I said, my Lord and my God, he's 84. He buried the love of his life two weeks ago, 60-something years. called to encourage me now listen that reminds me that no matter what your age no matter how long you've been in the family there's always a ministry for you to perform and there's no doubt brother Rick he's an exhorter I mean I bet for many years I bet if I could go talk to the pastors that he has served I bet all of them would say you know what You know, that's a ministry every one of you can fulfill for each other. I'm telling you, you can. That's why when I walk here on Sundays and Wednesdays, the one of the main goals I have, yes, I want to make you aware uh, of sin. I want you to make aware of the problems, aware of your own humanity, but I also want to encourage you in the fact of knowing that you can be, listen, Paul said in Romans 8, 37, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And so I began to talk to the Lord. And I said, Lord, if you let me live to be 84, let me be 84 helping somebody get their head off the mat. I, I still, and I, I could hear Coach Harper in my, in my mind. Get your head off the mat. Too many bad things happen when your head's on the mat. I watch these wrestlers now and everyone, I see them with their head on their mat. I'm thinking, get up, get your head up, get your hips up. You gotta, gotta, you gotta keep moving. Because if you don't, 
there's a real enemy who's out to destroy your testimony. I read this week a heartbreaking story. A Christian leader that I had respected all my ministry. I just mentioned him to y'all the other day and did not even know what was going on. And in the end of his life, and even after his death, it was found an immoral life that has destroyed. You know what it reminded me? Satan don't mind waiting on you, sir. He don't mind waiting on you, ma'am. And if he has to wait to the end of your life to destroy your testimony and influence on the next generation, he's willing to do it. You say, preacher, doesn't that destroy your confidence in God? No, sir. Doesn't that destroy your confidence in the fact of Jesus' ability to save and redeem and keep us eternally secure? No, sir. Because you and I are fallen, fallen the Lord I just wrote to you about he is holy and will never compromise his holiness for eternity be encouraged be an encourager be a man or woman on mission and don't let anything stop you from accomplishing the objective God has given Father, in Jesus' name, I just want to thank you for your word today. I want to thank you for how it convicts me, how it challenges me, how it reminds me of how desperately I need your hand on every step I God, don't, don't let me stray. And God, don't let me lead others to stray. Help me sound the alarm. It's an alarm of love and grace and mercy, one that wants to rescue and redeem. One that wants to say, yeah, you're drifting, yeah, you're straying. Yeah, you might have messed up, but there is grace. There is mercy and there is forgiveness for those who are faithful to repent. God, I thank you for the journey thus far. I thank you for the many wonderful people you've allowed us to encounter, meet, serve with, fellowship with, and share our journey. God, I thank you for even hard times. I thank you for how they reminded me of my own limits that I might tap into the limitless grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, in this room today, 
I have no way of knowing what needs are this congregation. But Father, I'm persuaded to believe that you know every one of them. And God, I pray that in this time that others are calling on you. Those who need encouragement. Those who need to be reminded that they are loved. Those that need to be redeemed who are lost in their sins and need a Savior. Those that need to be rescued from getting near the edge. God, I pray they call out to you today. You do what only a holy, sovereign God like you can do. You'd bring forgiveness. You'd bring healing. And you'd remind us of just who you are today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for first loving us. It's in the mighty strong name of Jesus I pray today. Amen and amen. Hey, I want you to look this way. And if you're watching online, I want you to look, stay with us for just a minute. But uh, I'm really serious when I tell you we're, we're here to help you. We're here to walk with you. I've always, I tell our deacons this in meetings regularly. I say, guys, ministry is messy. Y'all heard me say that more than once. <laughs> ministry is messy. You, you don't get in ministry where everything be perfect. You don't get in ministry for everybody have it all together. You're in ministry because you're willing to help people even in their greatest difficulties. It means so much to understand that. So whatever it is, wherever you're at, just know that you're loved and know that you're among people that want to help you. We're on a mission. We need him and we need each other. You've heard people say this before, I can do this, I can do I can. No, we really need each other. Don't forget to keep up with the announcements and things that are going on there. Wednesday night, 6 o'clock right here in the worship center, uh, we'll be meeting uh, and children and students, so don't forget that. Uh, pray much for on Wednesdays. Pray much for the bunch that's going to come in behind you, okay? Pray for them as they worship. And pray, and don't be too proud to pray that God would lead us to an end to all this. Amen. I really do. I pray every day for an end to it. I'm like, Lord, I, I hear you. I've learned my lesson, Lord. Amen. I, you know, and, uh, and I think we all, but we have no control over that. But we know he does. And we know he has a purpose in it. We've been believing that for 11 months this week, right? 11 months. So, guys, let me help you one more time. If you ain't took sweetheart to dinner, you got one more chance today, okay? If you've let the weekend fly by, I'm telling you, you can redeem yourself, all right? If you've already been once, go again. I want you to put some deposits in the love tank, amen, right? And so do that. Uh, and you ladies, y'all can you thank me later. I don't know, but anyhow, I do love you. I do. I praise God for you. And I want you to know that before you go today. If you have any decisions you need to make, please, we're here for you. We're not leaving. If you need somebody to call you, contact you, leave the card off the thing, leave it in one of the offering buckets at either door, or whatever we can do to minister to you, please, church family, let's continue to be faithful in our stewardship. Let's trust God to do greater things in the future than he's ever done in the past. And don't forget, you know, God loves you. I love you. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen. Stand together. Marty's going to sing us out. Standing on the promises. Stand.